This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. With Doctor Who off our screens now until some point in 2013, we have something else that's not been featuring on the Doctor Who podcast very much over the last few weeks. It's Trevor, heading in the direction of the camper van. Be warned. It's easy. I, I wrote this line down for you. It's not difficult. Now listen, I am the master, and you will obey me. All right, I'll try it again. You, you said on. it was easy, didn't easy, you? Easy, easy, easy. Just concentrate. Okay. Concentrate. Read the line. Right, read okay. the line. I am the easy, oh, oh, and you oh. will obey. I, I, I don't know. Me. Where, where is Tom when you need him? Where is Leeson? And I, I get Trevor. Now listen. Oh, Tom. After me. I am Tom, <laughs> and you will obey me. <laughs> no. I think we'll move on. That was so two episodes ago anyway. Hello, James. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Trevor. How are you? <laughs> it's wonderful to be back. I, I, I tell you, I think you've got to stop calling me Trev. And start calling me Rusty, because I haven't done this for so long. I've forgotten everything. What's this microphone-shaped thing in front of me? I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, and, and listeners, he's not joking, honestly. We spent 20 minutes trying to get his computer connected to his microphone. And where's, where's, where's my earphones? Where's my earphones? Honestly, um, it has been a long time, Trev, but I've, I've got to be uh, completely honest. It's wonderful to have you back again. And uh, I, I can't wait to be talking about Doctor Who with you again. So what, what was it like listening to the rest of us uh, just talk about Doctor Who? What would have been, you know, pretty much after we've seen it two or three times? So, you know, in theory, we'd have had a reasonable chance to consider our opinions. Um, were you still shouting at us when you were listening to us? Well, actually, what, what more scared me was because I'm, I'm usually the one responsible for publishing the episode. So you guys would edit it and put it together and send it to me and say, here you go, it's ready to go, but don't listen to it, you'll get spoiled. So you guys could have put anything in there you could have had morris dancing for 45 minutes of an episode and i would have been none the wiser and i would have happily published it up on the site i'm, I'm just glad you're actually talking about doctor who for you know for those five episodes well it was rather tempting obviously morris dancing is something that uh, uk based people do very very frequently and uh, tom leeson mm. and i are becoming quite good now and, and reasonably coordinated and then you are usurped by none other than the master himself. Um, how about that? I mean, Anthony Ainley. Oh, oh amazing. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that an awesome interview? I mean, that 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 really is a time capsule for another another age of Doctor Who. I mean, back in the day when you could get into a car with one of the stars and get a lift home. I mean, these days you wouldn't get within a hundred meters of Matt Smith or Karen Gillan, and and ask him for a lift home. My goodness, that, that that would never happen. I mean, this this is another age where I think, you know, the actors and you know crew involved with the show were were less formal. I think. I, I mean, they didn't have their scripted responses. They they just actually 
talked, and and I think even Ainley says that a little bit too. The the convention he'd just been to, he he kind of mentioned to the interviewer. Oh, that that was a bit formal, wasn't yes. it? I, I I didn't like the formality of it, and I went, yes, that's exactly right, because there's such a difference between the way Ainley was just chatting about, you know, the sights around him, about girls, about you know, we're we're turning left here and right here, you know, compared to what we get now with like the confidentials and the interviews mm. we see on the uh, BBC website, just just. Two, two different worlds. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's two different worlds and two different shows, fundamentally. I mean, the only thing that really is consistent is the story that's being told. Everything else is different. And I think that's why it's it, it was so interesting to listen to, because it wasn't just hearing someone who we didn't expect to hear talking about Doctor Who. It was it was an insight into the way the man thought, lived. It was a, it was a window back or... To, to the 1980s you know mm. and and he was so relaxed bear in mind he'd only just recorded keeper of trakan there which was his first appearance and yet it he, he was so relaxed and you you didn't get the feeling as you rightly say uh, that he was trying to promote anything he he was genuinely just trying to be a decent chap and uh, like you say I, I think there would be major concerns these days if John Sim for instance decided to give two 14 year old fans <laughs> a lift home uh, from a convention across London but uh, but in those days you know I, I'm not saying you know it was safe or anything but people didn't look at that kind of thing in the same way they do now and um, despite obviously you know not everything was wonderfully innocent back in the 80s, but certain things were. And uh, it, it's mm. nice to look back through possibly rose-tinted spectacles and say, yeah, you know, I kind of miss that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean just, just the feedback we're receiving on the forums and Twitter and Facebook, everyone's saying the same sort of thing. I mean, they're all off the same page. Just, just yeah. what an awesome little interview that was. Just this little snippet of history that when you sent me an email saying, hey, you know, we might have a possibility of someone coming up with an Anthony Ainley interview, I went, oh, my God, mm. absolutely incredible. I mean, just, just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, uh, Martin, we're incredibly indebted to you and all of mm. Bristol Community Radio for being able to to play that interview to our to our listeners. It was, uh, it was one of the highlights, I think, uh, of, of the DWP in nearly two and a half years, I think, Trevor. And, of course, we shouldn't forget the other interview we have out there at the moment that was released uh, earlier in the week Andrew Edwards big Finnish composer uh, Michelle sat down with him and had a bit of a bit of a chat which which was really really interesting and on what other doctor podcast are you going to hear someone playing the drums I tell you well uh, radio free Scarrow I think Stephen plays as well <laughs> oh well, that, that that torpedo that <laughs> <laughs> no I quite enjoyed doing that <laughs> but I don't think I don't think he's featured on an episode as far as I know playing the drums so that's uh, oh. that's really good <laughs> so we have another first then do we <laughs> someone bashing something on a DWP no that's been done before <laughs> it's it, it's a tenuous first but I'm I'm happy to grab whatever first we can. Anyway, back on to what we're supposed to be discussing this week, and that's um, that's taking a final look back at the first five episodes of Season 7. Or indeed, was it the entirety of Season 7? And will next year's run of eight episodes be Season 8? Uh, looking at the way Doctor Who magazine, and certainly um, it's been reported in the last week or so, these next eight episodes 
are being reported as pretty much a new series. Uh, they're talking about what I was going to call episode six as episode one. I think we've got to treat it like that, haven't we? I mean, when are we supposed to be getting this next story? Well, 2013, who knows? I mean, how long a gap do we need before we have to treat the next run of stories as a new season? I, I think this definitely qualifies. Because I think we're going to go for probably close to, if not a year, without seeing Doctor Who again. And and despite that being an incredible tragedy and a horrible travesty of justice, if we have a year between stories, I think you've got to treat what we're getting in 2013 as Series 8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, in all fairness, that this is something that you're going to hear, listeners, throughout this entire episode... Which the general undertone at the moment from fandom is that we're enjoying what we're getting in the main. It's just not enough. No, and, uh, it's and, not. And that certainly is my view as well. Well, let's get right into it, hey, James? Well, why not? And let's hear from Martin first of all. Over to you, Martin. Hello there, Doctor Who Podcast. This is uh, Martin Thompson from Geek Planet Online. I haven't feedback for a while, not since uh, I think the Wedding and River song. Uh, but a few changes in my life since then, but I've always been meaning to send you some more feedback. Uh, I think you've been doing a sterling job, though, in this year of the Who drought. There'll be some really interesting topics on the podcast you've, you've been finding to talk about. Um, I only wish I could have given you a bit more feedback. Right, uh, here's a bit of feedback on the Power of Three. Um, well, overall, I've been enjoying this season so far. I've been really enjoying the way that um, Doctor's been uh, picking up and dropping off Amy and Rory. It's something new, it's something fresh we've not seen before with the companions. Um, and uh, this would look to be the culmination of that. Um, and I have to say, I feel a bit disappointed. I love Kate Stewart though, I love the cubes, uh, things like people taking them into their home and having their own Twitter feeds and things like that, it, it feels genuine, something would happen, and yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a hangover to the uh, the RTD era, I think, um, overall, yeah, I think it was just the direction, it was just a bit off for me, you know, and uh, yeah, particularly that speeded up sequence uh, with the Doctor painting the fence and everything, it just seemed a bit too silly and uh, a bit too much like the Lodger, uh, Matt Smith uh, was a bit over the top and I thought he'd been very good this season so far uh, right well looking forward to the Angels in Manhattan next week looking forward to seeing how the ponds bow out and I'll give you a quick kooky theory as well I think that um, Doctor's going to give them baby Melody Pond I think they're going to be sent back in time and he's going to give them their baby he said he knew where it was at uh, the end of uh, Good Man Goes to the War and uh, I think he did, I think that's what he done I think he's been uh, he's been lying all along uh, or he knows how the timeline turns out anyway because he's met River Song and well River, River Song's in this one right anyway I'll uh, say my goodbyes now so I'll uh, talk again another time bye bye thank you for that Martin thank you for your feedback on uh, Power of Three mate um, I love your phrase who drought I'm going to claim that as my own so um, <laughs> unfortunately I've copyrighted that now I think that's a perfect way to describe the, the lack of Doctor Who we're getting because I, I think you, even you yourself James have said you know, we've got five episodes all within September 2012, and then that's it. Yep. And yep. when when you look at it that we're getting all the Doctor Who in 2012 is, is within one month, I think that really drives home for me just how little we're getting this year. Well, no, I agree. With the exception of the Christmas special, then we're talking about, um, mm. I think it's about an hour and ten minutes less than the total running time of season three of Torchwood. You know, really? Yeah, because, well, that was five episodes and they were an hour each. We've had five episodes that have averaged around 45 minutes, just under. 
And, uh, you know, as I said, not counting the Christmas special, for me, it's simply not enough, no matter how monumentally brilliant uh, those episodes may be. And some of them were, some of them weren't. I mean, I think it also depends on your level of optimism, because we haven't had an announcement, for sure, uh, from the production team to say there are going to be eight episodes starting in March... June, July. I mean, my predisposition here, I think, is especially given that there's at least two or three episodes that have yet to even be filmed, um, mm. we're not going to get this 20 episodes, 2013, no, everybody's talking about. My, my, my punts, if you like, call it a guess, we're going to get those eight episodes, clearly. I believe there'll be a Christmas special next year, and I think there may be about two or three specials around the time of the anniversary, and I think that is it. I think we're looking at 11 or 12 episodes next year. Yeah, I, I agree with you, because I think because I think almost fans have been conditioned unwillingly for the last two years to accept these mini-seasons, this who drought. There you go, there's that phrase again. <laughs> um, this, this who drought of Doctor Who that... People are going to be so excited next year when we even get like a 13-episode season. They're going to be going, oh, my goodness, we haven't had that for two years. It's absolutely fantastic. Aren't we so blessed? But I'm still back with my conversation with Tom last year that when, when you look at the numbers, you really have to fudge it to try and justify the fact that we're getting less content each year. And, and, and to me, that's a crying shame when Doctor Who is such a money spinner for the BBC. It's not like it's a loss leader or anything like that it earns buckets of money why don't they make more no i, I, I really I do don't agree. understand it I, I i think there's no question that doctor who creates more revenue than it costs to make uh, which is why i've always thought it's a slightly strange argument to say okay we're going to make less to save money because surely that actually cuts mm. your revenue as well um, unless of course you know doctor who isn't the money spinner we all believe it to be i mean neither trevor or i strange as it may be uh, to to hear we haven't seen the profit and loss sheets uh, for each episode um, <laughs> and we don't know the precise amount of money brought in through overseas sales but i i think Aside from period drama, which always exports from the UK uh, in, in droves, I, ca- I I'm, can't think of any other series that is likely to generate a higher revenue than Doctor Who. The BBC produced such a lot of wonderful high-quality drama, and I think it's the uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases where they make the money, but Doctor Who's got the added benefit that it can pretty much merchandise anything that moves in the series. Yeah. Um, you know, with your toys and with your uh, models and merchandise and books and stuff like that. Other series don't do that. So, to me, it's got such a wonderful inbuilt market that you know they, they must be they must be making a lot of money. They I I, th- I think so. I mean, the, Russell T Davies always used to talk about compromising the brand of Doctor Who, and he he was usually talking about you know, a, a finite number of spin-off series so that you don't damage the flagship show so much. And I, I think the same argument can be applied to merchandise. But I don't think they're anywhere near as restrained as they used to be a couple of years ago. I mean, you can't go anywhere, certainly in London these days, without finding something that you would need in the home. I mean, if you wanted a new salt cellar, you could go and get a Dalek salt <laughs> cellar. I mean, if, if you wanted a new set of pens, you can go and get branded Doctor Who pens. There's, you, you, I bought my nieces um, a, a Dalek mat uh, to put in their um their, their bedroom and uh or they, they use it in the bathroom now as well yeah. you can get anything you can probably get cyberman knickers if you try hard enough <laughs> it is endless i mean we'll hear a bit of feedback you know in the next couple of minutes that 
talks about some more ideas about you know where you know the you know the BBC can make a lot of money out of even the most obscure things. But uh, back back to Martin's thoughts on uh, Power of Three. I think we've kind of diverted there a little bit. Um, it, it has been mentioned before that Power of Three does feel very RTD. Yes, you know the way they use the news reports to convey a lot of the uh, story and plot. He he makes an interesting comment about the direction being a bit off. That he felt Power of Three was a little bit over the top. I'm not so sure about that. I, I, I think it was the story that limited um, the direction. I think if you suddenly got to show something that inherently doesn't make a great deal of sense, then it's it's hard to present that in a really convincing way. And I think you look at the last five minutes of Power of Three, where you've got Stephen Burkoff's character shoehorned in, lots of fancy sonic screwdriver waving i mean how can you shoot that in a new and original way when the story just simply isn't that interesting and he has a wonderful cookie theory of the week about um what he thinks that's going to happen in uh, angels take manhattan that the doctor gives the ponds their baby at the end of that story now that 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 to me, actually makes a lot of sense because, as he said, the Doctor knows where the baby is. He, he mentions it in Good Man Goes to War. So it, it's stuff like this that I think when the fans like Martin have picked up that you think would be obvious inclusions for these sort of stories. Why don't we have them? Is Moffat as smart as we really think he is? I, I think so. Um, I mean, it's it's not very often you can say on the DWP something you know that you're so utterly certain of. But given we've seen the Angels take Manhattan, we can now say, Martin, you're wrong. Ha! Convincingly, <laughs> I mean, we know. <laughs> not that I take any joy in that whatsoever. However, Ian also mentioned the fact that um, in the Angels take Manhattan. There, there, there is a possibility or you know everybody was thinking well why don't the ponds go back to where the little girl was left at the end of day of the moon pick up and raise their child and I, i've heard that question asked on a number of other podcasts as well and i think the answer is because at that point she was trained to kill the doctor she was pretty much a, a psychotic and she grew up into the Mel's character um that we saw in let's kill hitler so i don't think it's an automatic given that the Pons would go looking for their um, daughter or the Doctor could point them in that direction. Yeah, because, I mean, by, by by the time the Doctor basically deprograms her, she, she's an adult. That's right. So That's they, right. They've, they've, I, I think forever they've lost the opportunity to raise their daughter, Yeah, I suppose, as an infant or a baby. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Stephen from Dorset is our next bit of feedback. He's very active on the forums as well. Go and check him out. Over to you, Steve. Hi, once again, DWP. This is Steve, um, Wilbury Dog on the forums. Currently residing in Dorset, England. A um, little bit of feedback on um, the Power of Three, firstly. Um, it was all right. You know, it was quite slow. Um, it was just designed, I think, for as a, a build-up to um, the end of uh, Rory and Amy's journey with the Doctor. However, the mention of the uh, Zygons was always a bonus, and even more so the um, character of Kate Stewart, um, absolutely brilliant that was. A fitting tribute to um, Nicholas Courtney, a.k.a. Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, um, was really pleased to, um, to see that. Now, what can I say about uh, The Angels Take Manhattan, other than <laughs> I absolutely loved it? Um, I sat there, just looking at the screen, transfixed. Um, I haven't done that for quite some time with Doctor Who, to be honest. Um, it, it really did take my breath away. Just the, I think half of it was down to the fact of the um, New York location. Uh, that really did give it a visual impact. 
but, but moreover, the emotion of the story. Um, you could see the doctor's despair, the, 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 the anguish in his eyes, you know, at the thought of losing Amy, obviously, mostly, but also Rory. And, you know, and, and, and their journey, too, you know, it was um, it's a, a happy but sad ending in many respects. You know that they're going to live their life out together, which is obviously good. And um, a happy ending of sorts for them, but also uh, um, an unhappy ending for the Doctor, because obviously he would rather their journey carry on with him. But, you know, better than him dying, obviously, and, and I think a lot of fans um, sort of predicted this sort of ending um, to their journey, and they were obviously right. I thought that the, the little bit at the end with um, the young Amelia Pond and then sort of going to black and white before the titles, I thought that was a really nice touch as well with Karen Gillan sort of narrating uh, the end of uh, the book um, over the top of that. You know, I mean, that added to the emotion, obviously, and that was what it was designed for. Well, all that's left to say is cheers, guys, for listening, and um, I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, great piece of feedback once again. And I think plugs into what most people are thinking, and and that's that The Power of Three was probably the weakest of the five episodes uh, that we've just had the pleasure of seeing uh, a month or so ago. I I would certainly go along with that view. Um, Having said that, I would also agree that there's a number of lines within The Power of Three that I, I, I really smiled at. I think Chibnall's use of comedy is generally quite good um, and it, it might just be because that's my kind of humour uh, but the stories in which they appear uh, certainly aren't my favourite and um, I'm you know, I'm sure we'll get on to speaking about this later but I know that um, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship wasn't exactly your favourite episode, Trev, that we've seen. Um, you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. But I, I quite like the humour <laughs> within it, certainly. I suppose for me, I mean, there was never any doubt what The Power of Three meant um, certainly once it changed from the title Cubed yeah. um, over to Power of Three, then obviously it was about this holy trio, you know, this companion-doctor relationship that, uh, of course, is the, is, is the finest the series has produced in its 48, 49-year history. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah it, interesting listening to Stephen's feedback going from that because he talks about Angels Take Manhattan at the end yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. using words like transfixed and phrases like loved it. And, uh, I mean, for me... I think Angel State Manhattan is the culmination of what they were trying to do with the Hollywood epic for um, Doctor Who this season. It looks fantastic. It really does. I mean, those, those stock shots they've got of the um, New York streets with the taxi cabs and the street lights and, uh, you know, looking down the famous landmarks. It looks absolutely beautiful. The chance to actually film with the principal cast in New York rather than the, the, the kind of cheat stuff they did with the Dalek story, I think back in Series 3 or 4 or whatever it was, where they didn't actually have the principal cast in the country. They just filmed some, you know, stock shots. It is an incredible difference between the two because, I mean, you've got the Doctor and his companions there in, um, in, in the park and they're just... New York is soaking them up in atmosphere. It, it, it looks, sounds and... Is, is just beautiful. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think the five episodes we've had this year are probably the best looking um, episodes we've had since, well, since the show's come back. Um, the real question is whether or not the story has suffered. And I think that was, 
your your point almost when you when you did your little uh, pre-record for us a couple of episodes or so ago it was saying yeah you know it's fantastic that doctor who looks so filmic so cinematic etc but has it been done at the cost of a good story being told you know because all doctor who fans are quite happy with slightly substandard special effects, provided the story is compelling enough. I mean, you you simply don't mm. get through the 70s and 80s Doctor Who if you're there for Hollywood special effects. You would watch a couple of episodes and then you're out of there, you're gone. Um, for, for me, it has been a very nice hybrid of the two. Um, and I, I think you're right to draw comparisons with the Daleks, uh, the Dalek story. Was it Daleks in Manhattan? I, I can't remember now. The Helen Rayner two-parter uh, in season three, I think it was, where the story there was appalling, and and yet the it, it looked okay. But I think there was so much effort into making it look like they were in New York that the story really just suffered. I mean, there were so many things wrong with it. It was unreal. Whereas this time around, they've thought, well, let's just go there. You know, let's film Matt Smith. Let's film Karen Gillan running down a New York street, you know, with, as you say, iconic American landmarks or New York landmarks um, and um, very recognisable things like the taxis and so on. And it worked brilliantly i loved the scene with amy rory and uh, the doctor in central park there were several scenes throughout the episode i think it looked fantastic uh, for me i think the story has never been better um, i mean i i just think everything came together in that final episode and i know that's not a very commonly held view in fandom but uh, I, I i thought despite the loose ends of, of which there were at least three or four um i i was the most satisfying conclusion to an episode and the best exit to date for new who companions Hello guys and gal, this is Glenn here, with my thoughts on Doctor Who, Season 7, Episode 5, The Angels Take Manhattan. Again, we start with another narrator, Detective Garner. Moffat's up to his usual tricks, however, the typist turns out to be Melody Malone, and then it's Amelia Williams at the typewriter, writing her afterward. Rory never gets a break. This is the second time he has grown old on the show, and the second time he's in a basement with monsters, first the Daleks and then the Cupids. I loved the book element of the episode. I thought that was utterly brilliant. I had to pause the picture and write down all the chapter titles. How many other people did that? Come on, raise your hands, be honest. (laughs) And what's the bet that this book will be on sale before the year is out? I didn't dwell up when Rory and Amy was on the ledge, but I certainly was riveted to the screen. I did, however, well up through Amy's afterward. And I have to say, I thought this was the best exit for companions that I have seen in New Who. And yes, in a city such as New York, there has got to be at least one set of eyes looking at the Statue of Liberty. Even if all the lights went out, there's still the moon. How could she move? One more thing. No one pointed out that when the Doctor was sprucing himself up for River Song, in the reflection you will see Peter Davidson's reflection. Well, gotta go. Toodaloo. Yeah, thanks, Glenn, for the feedback, mate. Rory is a bit of a whipping boy, isn't he? I mean, we've we've always talked about how he uh, spends more time actually dying in a story than actually acting in a story. Hmm. And, um, and, And you've mentioned that, of course, this is the second time he's grown... 
very very old and and the second time he's been stuck in a basement with with monsters so um <laughs> poor old rory he uh he he gets the real um i suppose sellator of uh doctor who whereas uh, karen gillan gets all the uh, good stuff well poss- possibly but it's a really good point that you make about arthur Darville being aged up twice and something i'd like to ask you trevor really um we have seen it twice. We've seen close-ups of Arthur Darville when he's had all the prosthetics on to make him look old. I think those prosthetics are extremely unconvincing. And I think that's one of the things that was really clear in The Angels Take Manhattan. There were two characters that you were supposed to believe have aged. There was the one within the pre credit sequence where they didn't use prosthetics. They used an older actor uh, to play mm. the, the guy with the hat, the, the private detective. And then they used Arthur Darville later on, and they did make him up. And I think it was very, very clear that they'd use makeup as opposed to just casting someone. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that was unconvincing. I think it works a lot better when they have two separate actors playing, you know, the younger and older versions. And I always cast my mind back to uh, Mr. Shepherd and his father yes. playing um, different versions of the same person. You know, they didn't bother getting the younger Shepherd into horrible rubbery prosthetics and have him you know, try and act behind a mask. They just basically got another actor, in this case his dad, to play the older version. And and I think that really gives the opportunity for an actor to emote properly. It must be incredibly difficult to act behind a whole ton of rubber. It really must. I mean, it must be like being a monster in Doctor Who. We didn't have to do much, did he? I mean, all he sat there was like, go, amen, no, please. True, you true, know, and I think that was fine. What must be a lot easier for Arthur Darville, you know, or, or Rory, as we know, to act against, is another actor as opposed to what must be a green screen or an empty bed. I think back to the David Tennant era, and David Tennant got aged up twice, once in um, Family of Blood and Human Nature, and once again, of course, who could forget, in Last of the Time oh, please, 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 please. Oh, you mentioned that. I did, oh I'm God. sorry, I'm sorry. You said, you said those words that I'm trying to erase from my memory. But oh, my it was God. dire. It was absolutely dire. I mean, everything about Last of the Time Lords was dire, the story. (laughs) Um, And it really didn't help to have, you know... Why would the Doctor even shrink to, like, half a foot tall and look like a house elf? It doesn't make sense. Let's not go there, James. I can't. I can't. I get far too... um, Worked up about it. Yes, but good point, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Well done. I I do like Glenn's uh, feedback, I have to say. It always makes me feel like I'm not really... um, enthusiastic enough about Doctor Who when I listen to his <laughs> feedback. Because uh, he, he's the one that sat there and actually written down the chapter titles from the book, which is something I didn't even think of doing. Nor I, did I. I. Oh, how casual fans watching the story. But he, he makes an interesting point there about, you know, will the book be on sale to fans at some point? And, and that sort of brings me back to what I mentioned about merchandise. Anything in Doctor Who can be merchandised. Let's put out that book that's been written that was in uh, Angels Take Manhattan, mm. and the fans would lap it up. They they would sell out the print run. It's it's gone already. Um, it's it's done as an ebook. Um, BBC really hooks. Yeah, it's it's got the picture um, of uh, Alex Kingston um, on it. It's the same one that's in the episode, and it's a short read. I've I've not read it yet, but I I, I know Michael has. Uh, but it's it's not something that I've I've seen yet. Uh, but you're oh, you're wow. quite right, and, and I think it's for something like one pound twenty. It's it's really cheap, but um, <laughs> yeah, Melody Malone, uh, I think it is, isn't it? The uh, oh, the character she plays. <laughs> and Glenn, as 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 for your um, assertion that Peter Davison appears in Angels Take Manhattan, I'll just say two words, Glenn. 
You're wrong. <laughs> I'll say two words too. Nice try, Glenn. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's three words. You, oh, I suppose so. No, I, <laughs> I wasn't counting Glenn. All right. <laughs> detail here. Detail. Um, but no, I, I think perhaps Glenn's uh, suggesting this so that we go and uh, just say, oh, yeah, really good point um, without checking. But we've checked. Nah. Nice try. We've checked. I had to check. I'm a Doctor Who fan. i got to check these things. I want to know whether Davison appeared in that Rolls-Royce reflection. And he didn't. See, I was too busy. I, I actually went back and paused that bit when I first watched it because I saw him then. I thought, I wonder whether that is like a plaque for the commissioning of the TARDIS itself, oh. whether it was going to say um, TARDIS Type 40 commissioned, you know, 5161 AD or something like that. But I, I, I actually was quite disappointed when I finally saw it and realised it was just like a Rolls-Royce uh, mm. plaque for, for their cars. I thought, oh, there we go. Mm. Missed I, out. A missed opportunity, Moffat. Perhaps yes, it could have been something that we could have we could have picked up on um, in in the same way that Glenn picked up on um, Peter Davison's reflection. So yeah, <laughs> or, or didn't, as it were. Yes, but certainly <laughs> your your point, Glenn, about the Statue of Liberty, and I've I've been itching to talk about this for a little while. And again, if, if you start looking for um, commentaries on the Angels Take Manhattan, uh, you can find them everywhere, not only in the usual places for podcasts, but there's been a remarkably high number of blogs and, uh, you know, reviews written uh, about this episode. I'm not entirely certain why that's the case this time around, but in, in practically every single one, someone refers to the Statue of Liberty walking, <laughs> walking mm. through New York. And why didn't somebody see it? We said that early. We said, surely Moffat's not that stupid. He's going to have the Statue of Liberty be an angel. Mm. But there it was. But he doesn't... There angels don't walk. Nobody sees angels walk. They they move very, very quickly. The thing that people should have been questioning, and, and some have, to be fair, is the vacant plinth <laughs> where the Statue <laughs> of Liberty normally sits or stands. Um, that would have been empty and people must have been scratching their head there. But there, there was, if you remember during the episode, these noises that sounded like foots, uh, footsteps. And I think what that was is when somebody actually looked at the angel or, or the Statue of Liberty, then it stopped. It stopped in the middle of the street. It wasn't a case of people thinking, okay, she's stepping through the streets of New York a little bit like uh, the Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters. In either scenario, it's still ridiculous. <laughs> whether you see it walk or whether you see it suddenly stop in the middle of a New York street, it, it's still insane. Yes, it's it still is. insane. It is. And again, something it's not an original thought, but I wanted to mention it anyway. Uh, <laughs> what is, again, interesting is, is that the Statue of Liberty is exactly the right height so that her head pokes menacingly over Winter Key. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have had the same impact if she was only as high as, I don't know, the, the fifth floor, <laughs> you know. Yes, or, lucky they picked the right hotel. Yes, yes. it was. So yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> it's it was a temptation that they simply couldn't not succumb to. They had to have the Statue of Liberty in an angel's story uh, if it was going to be set in New York. But, mm. you know... It didn't. It wasn't too intrusive, but does it make any kind of sense if you give it a moment's thought? No, it doesn't. None at all. Okay, on to our next piece of feedback from Michael. You may possibly recognise his voice. This is Michael, host of the Tin Dog Podcast. You asked for some feedback about what we'd thought about this series of Doctor Who. Well, here you go. 
about what we've just sat through. Well, basically, we've just sat through the year of the specials. It's basically the same number of episodes that we got to distract us while Tennant was upgraded into Smith. Next year, well, do we only get eight episodes? Or do we get eight and then some more in November? No, I'm still feeling cheated. Can't really tell you. One month, the whole of September, and then they're gone. It started with Daleks, and all I could think of at the time was, are the ponds still here? Look, there's Souffle Dalek, and then it's River's Return, and all of that via some cubetasticness. What we as fans always have to remember is that our thoughts, our podcasts, our blogs don't matter. None of this really matters. We're all people of the internet, and we all have our overflated opinions that we actually think matter. You see, what actually does matter are the people who don't blog, who don't chat, who just watch it. The casual viewers, the people we have no control over. That's what'll make the show live. People watching it on a whim. The families that don't even know what a podcast is. They're what matters. Are they the ones who enjoyed this series? Are they the ones who thought, oh, isn't that her out of Emmerdale when they watched Asylum of the Daleks? They're the ones who had to comfort their small child when the ponds went. They're the ones who had to explain why everything was sewn up so quickly in the Cubes story. So yeah, I've enjoyed these five episodes. We can hardly call it a series. I'm looking forward to next year, the 50th anniversary. God only knows what Moffat's going to pull out of the hat, but hey, that's all right. That's his job. And ours is to mumble and chat to each other because no one else is listening. And with that, I'm going to stand on top of Leeds' multi-story car park and plug my book. Be seeing you. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Michael. And and I think really that's that's a comment on the way the show is organized these days as opposed to what what you actually thought of the episodes which is which is fine uh, but you are right i think people who listen to podcasts and certainly those of us who produce them don't always have the clearest view of, of how the program is doing and uh, what might be a very popular view that we all subscribe to within either the podcast community or within doctor who fandom may be the diametric opposite of what the general audience um, perceives the show as so yeah it's, it's a good point so I, th- I think what he's trying to say from that point of view is that you know don't listen to podcasters or don't read blogs we don't know what we're talking about that's right although it, it could be <laughs> argued and and i will just warn listeners my dinner has just been presented to me so there might be a bit of chewing happening for the rest of the episode oh what is that deal with it deal with it oh it's, it's actually no a bit of chicken a bit of couscous oh. um, nice corn on the cob oh Mm, Sounds mm, good. Honestly, I wish I had that kind of service. I really do. <laughs> I, I was quite surprised. I, I almost dropped the plate in the surprise. It's not normal here at this part of the uh, camper van, believe you me. Anyway, the opposite could be argued that we do know what's going on with the show. We know very well the way the show is going. But as far as the general public's concerned, they don't care. They just consume it and they move on. They, you know, they move on to the next show and they move on to the next BBC drama that's on next week and to a degree that's probably the vast majority of the audience statistic and if you are producing a tv show who do you want to please the most you want to please you you want to appease and please the the vast majority of your audience and i think doctor who fans are a very small part of that um uh, if you like you can you can call them baggage if if you're particularly cynical or you can call them a built-in audience um there are some things that you make on television where you're starting from scratch and you need to attract and win an audience doctor who will never be like that you could make the worst doctor who ever i don't know do something totally stupid like put a triceratops like on, a on a spaceship yeah. oh. you know, and you'll still have 
have you'll still have a whole bunch of fans watching it religiously Doctor Who where all the bad scripts come to live (laughs) (laughs) but uh, but on the whole I agree with you Michael certainly the um the the early part of your feedback talking about the 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 lack of Doctor Who Trevor and I've already touched on that briefly this episode but uh, I, I am with you entirely and it doesn't matter how rational or how logical Um, an argument you hear put forward by the BBC or indeed by the Doctor Who team. Um, I I just don't buy it, I'm afraid. And I think that's a sentiment that's growing, certainly (laughs) within that myopic environment called fandom. Um, But who who knows what the the wider audience think? Um, Are are they happy with a split series? Um, Because, again, that's something that I initially didn't really have a a view on when it was announced for season six. And having gone through one and a half uh, series that have been split, um, I, I can now honestly say I don't like it very much. No, I think there's a difference between a split and a chasm, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yes. Who's our next bit of feedback from uh, My Other Cars a TARDIS? Hello, it's My Other Cars a TARDIS here with some thoughts about Season 7 of Doctor Who so far. Highlights for me have included the excellent a town called Mercy. Really enjoyed the references to High Noon and Westworld. Thoroughly enjoyable episode. The Daleks and the Weeping Angels were particularly scary. Dinosaurs on a spaceship. Great fun running about. And the Doctor killing the baddie at the end. I thought was actually rather good. It reminded me a little of David Tennant's very first episode. Where he hurls that rock at the control panel. And the villain falls off the giant floating spaceship thing to his death. And I thought well... You know, the Doctor makes these calls, and fair enough. Lowlights of the series so far, unfortunately, have included the, well, I found baffling decision that the Daleks decided to have a parliament. What was that all about? Surely they're a dictatorship, they have Davros in charge, or some big black Dalek, or the Emperor Dalek, or whatever, and that makes all the decisions. The rather dull episode about the power of three. I just didn't get on with this one. It was too slow. And also, how many sides does a cube have? It doesn't have any. It's a 3D shape. It has faces. thought that was a little bit sloppy in the writing. Amy's departure and Rory's departure I thought was handled really well. I never really built up a particular relationship with these two characters. I didn't really care for them particularly. Two reasons. One, that Stephen Moffat doesn't do the full Russell T. Davies soap opera approach to Doctor Who. So there's never quite an emotional tie. And secondly, splitting the series in half, you just feel so disconnected from it. Anyway, they're my thoughts. Keep up the great work. Really loving the podcast. Great, yeah. Interesting piece of feedback. Um, good to talk about A Town Called Mercy, which I know, Trevor, was your favourite of, of the five episodes we've just seen. And I think it was probably mm. mine too. Um, High Noon and Westworlds. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have immediately thought of comparisons to those two because I don't think I've seen either. High Noon's a film, isn't it? believe so yes yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and Westworld I initially thought of a film starring Kevin Costner but I think that's Waterworld that's Waterworld yeah yes. and I, di- I didn't see any <laughs> kind of comparison there at all but uh, I have <laughs> I have heard comparisons drawn with Firefly which I have seen and I can see precisely where people are coming from there and again I've heard other people talk about um, comparisons with Stephen King's Dark Tower uh, series of novels which again was something I picked up on right at the very start with a with, with a gunslinger Dalek Parliament yes uh, that was one of my major bugbears from Asylum of the Daleks so it's far too democratic a, a concept for, for, for well basically Nazis 
Uh, it just doesn't work, I'm afraid. How do they vote? That's that's what I'm. That's what I want to know. How do they vote? Do they raise their plungers? I think you I? probably touch your plunger to the the, the the pads. I mean, what I'm really interested in is you. I don't know in Australia, but do, do you get politicians come around before elections uh, trying to convince you to vote for them? Or to uh, kiss babies and stuff yeah. like that. I'd, yeah, I suppose we do to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, wouldn't yeah. you like Dalit Khan trying to convince you of his policies? That would be fantastic. Mm. It really would be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just like that. I mean, the, the more you think about it, the whole concept of a parliament is ludicrous. And I, I think it's something that the production team would have thought about and then dismissed because they thought the majority of their audience wouldn't give it a second thought. <laughs> I think they needed something that the audience understood very quickly. And then, I mean, it wasn't really dwelled upon to be perfectly honest. Oh, no. All it was was a vehicle to get all the Daleks together and yeah. shout, save us. And I think they could have come up with a slightly better idea, it has to be said. Yes, a better name than uh, Parliament. What kind of gathering could they have convened? Some like a flash mob you know, of Daleks. That would have been good, you see, where they just turn up. <laughs> what do they call it when those uh, bikey gangs all meet, you know, for their annual meetings or something? I think that's the annual meeting of the bikers. That's too long. We need a shorter <laughs> word. How about Parliament? Parliament, why not? It works perfectly. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Power of three, dull. Yes, I, I think we've been there, and I, I generally agree with you. But I think also my other cars are TARDIS. You've come up with the nittiest pick I have ever heard um, within a piece of feedback. Sides and faces within cubes. I'm sorry. I loved it. I, did, I absolutely I did smile. loved it. Because he's exactly right. Oh, who cares? I, I, <laughs> really? I think, like, like to our earlier point, we as fans know it, but really no one cares. No, not unless... I mean, even people who are mathematicians are not going to be saying, oh, I didn't enjoy this episode because it's mathematically incorrect. I mean, I mean, you can imagine all the pocket protectors around the world bursting with consternation that they were calling them uh, sides rather than faces. Faces, yeah. <laughs> angry emails to the BBC. And a cube, doesn't that have two sides or two faces? So does that not mean there's 12? Anyway, it, it's a moot point and it's not something we can really <laughs> talk about. But uh, but but well done uh, for, for splitting, I think, the thinnest hairs that uh, <laughs> have ever been. <laughs> They've brought to our attention. Thank you very much indeed. I hope that's not the last piece of feedback. And uh, is that your name? Have you actually changed your name to my other car is a TARDIS? Because uh, I'd like to see evidence of that. Anyway, moving on to our next piece of feedback whilst uh, Trevor continues through his chicken and couscous. This is from Nick. And over to you, Nick. Hello to all in the camper van, first off. And uh, well done for continuing to do such a brilliant job. Now, I wanted to air a few of my views on the first five episodes of season seven. First of all, the positives. Doctor Who looks incredible. The care, the attention to detail and the talent of the cast and crew is clear for all to see. More filming abroad has really opened up the series. We're no longer just fighting aliens in Cardiff and London anymore. The Doctor really does travel the Earth as well as the universe. The surprise introduction of Jenna Louise Coleman was wonderful, truly unexpected and brilliantly done. The Power of Three, for me, was the highlight of the series so far, with what I think is the tightest script and the most intriguing premise. The direction of the episodes is confident and bold. Rory's dad, played by Mark Williams, was touching and sympathetic. But most of all, Arthur Darville, Karen Gillan and Matt Smith have become, for me, one of the all-time great Doctor companion teams. Their obvious enthusiasm for their roles has really sparkled off the screen. In particular, Matt Smith is a wonderful Doctor. He does so much with the part, and Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall, especially in The Power of Three, have given him some very memorable lines and scenes. 
in the sense of our doctor, I think we're in some something we're in something of a golden age for the show. But I'm a fan, so clearly a golden age can't be enough. The bad points for me come down to one thing, the pace of the show. It seems that Moffat wanted to give us Hollywood blockbusters boiled down to 45 minutes. But the problem is blockbusters are getting longer, not shorter. And that's because people want more these days. They want more action, more character development and more time to watch it happening. There isn't a single story from this season so far which wouldn't have benefited from a second episode. So much is crammed into these stories, they don't have time to breathe or come alive enough. I can't be the only fan of the show who misses the cliffhanger more and more. Stephen Moffat is a televisual genius. He has an imagination like no other writer in the history of the show, and yes, that includes the greats like Robert Holmes. But I want more, not less. I don't want just five episodes, and I really don't want everything crammed in so tightly that the stories suffer. This man is a truly wonderful writer and a creative powerhouse. He has a team around him who are at the top of their game. I wish we were seeing more of it. I would happily have lost dinosaurs in a spaceship altogether just to have given at least one of the other stories a second episode. Lastly, just a quick thought. The classic series gave us returning villains like the Daleks, Sidemen, and Tyrants, Ice Warriors, Saloons, Sea Devils, Draconians, Autons, the Master, even the Yeti and the Mara. The new series has featured the Slitheen twice in one season and the Angels three times. Any other returning characters have been from the classic series. Now, is this because we're telling the story so quickly these days that the new enemies don't get enough time to establish themselves in the public's mind? So, am I right? Do we need more multi-episode stories? Oh, did, oh sorry. That feedback ended quicker than I thought it would. Um, <laughs> sorry, Nick. Um, yes, Doctor... <clears throat> sorry, the corn on the cob got stuck in my throat there, mate. That, 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 that's, that's so unprofessional. My goodness. James, how, how can you let this go to air? Um <laughs> Quite easily. Yes, Doctor Who looks incredible. We've already said so. Um, it, it's interesting that you talk about Power 3 being an intriguing episode. Yeah. I mean, is that a roundabout way of saying you didn't really understand it? I don't know. For me, I think Power 3 is in that camp where it's written like it's supposed to be clever and you're meant to think it's clever, but is it really clever? Or, you know, is, is there some sort of double bluff going on? I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I probably don't agree with your best companion team ever. Um, we've got... You know, another 47 years of Doctor Who there to, uh, you know, kind of compare with, uh, you know, the Ponds and the Doctor being, uh, you know, this best team ever. I, I think that's the sort of thing we were saying back when Billy Piper was around. It was the same thing we were saying when Donna was around, when Martha was around. Oh, my goodness, this is the best companion ever. Not with an ER, but with an A, ever. Um <laughs> Everyone just sees the next thing and they go, oh, that's so exciting. That's so much better than it really was. And I, I don't think there's a lot of perspective going on. It's just one exciting thing to the next. And they're kind of forgetting what's even happened in the last couple of years, let alone what happened 40 years ago. Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't think they're the best team ever. Um, I, I think they're pretty good um, in, if you just want to dip in and out of uh, an, an episode of New Doctor Who then Amy and Rory are interesting enough and not confusing enough uh, to enable a casual viewer just to enjoy a single episode. But did I enjoy their arc more than others? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. I, I think their exit was handled very well. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I love Donna Noble's arc again, but I really disliked the way that she, she exited, which was pretty much the same as Jamie and Zoe in the War Games. I, I just felt it didn't really work quite as well as um, lots of other people seem to think it worked. 
but I, I think certainly by far the the, the most interesting point uh, and question that Nick raises is is concerning the pace of the show. Um, and, and you say that any one of these episodes could be two episodes long. I, I I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. In all honesty, I mean, I I, I think. There are lots of buzzwords bandied around about a series of Doctor Who before it airs, and certainly you've heard it several times, even on a DWP, epic, um, filmic, cinematic. We, we've said those three words probably more times than we ever have done before in, in, in describing this season. I don't actually think that is anything more than a little bit of marketing uh, on the, on the um, production team's part. Yes, they look good. Yes, they look good, but they're not real films and you don't tell the story the same way the films are being told. So I don't think they're trying to cram too much in. And certainly Power of Three, which you claim is your most, you know, your favourite episode uh, of these five that we've just seen, that was very, very slow indeed. And if that had gone to two episodes, then I really would have been um, disappointed, I think. It's a bit like giving Paradise Towers, you know, another two parts. It would, it was just not necessary um, in any shape or form. But um, I don't really miss the cliffhanger either. And I, I think when it was made very clear that Moffat was moving away from a complicated arc uh, that we saw in season six, that it would have been almost inconceivable to have lengthy stories told over two weeks as part of your standalone series. Right, thank you to all you wonderful listeners who have been sending in feedback. And uh, we, we're really sorry we're not able to use all of the audio feedback that we've received. I mean, I remember the days, Trevor, you probably do too, of when we were begging uh, listeners to send in, mm. you know, audio feedback. We're an audio podcast. Clearly, that's by far the best way of uh, participating. And now we've got to the point where we get so much that we can't actually yeah. use it all. And if no, and if you are one of those listeners who have spent some time recording your thoughts and sending them to us and you haven't heard your feedback, then do keep listening because we will come back to Season 7 probably in a few months now. Um, I, I think we've probably had our fill of it um, in, in terms of analysing and discussing it. But we do listen to it, though. Mm, no, absolutely, and I'd always encourage people to send us their thoughts. It will be uh, it, It's always great to listen to them, even if we don't end up using them. I guarantee you that... We do sit there and we do listen to them, yeah. <laughs> every single piece of feedback that we get. So just to round off this podcast, Trevor, we mentioned earlier that you were noticeable by your absence uh, when we were going through um, our reviews of season seven. So I've come up with a few quick questions for you about season seven that hopefully will give listeners a rough idea of what you thought about each episode. And uh, yeah, okay. your challenge right. here, your challenge is to answer in a challenge. maximum of one sentence. Uh, so I'm going to go through these in order of transmission. So Asylum of the Daleks. What do you think of the Jenna Louise Coleman quandary that Moffat has has posed? One sentence. Well, that's it. I think it's a quandary. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're meant to not really know whether it's uh, in inverted commas a mistake that they got her on and thought she was fantastic and then decided to use her of a companion or whether it's going to be some future reveal that she's in Asylum of the Daleks, she's also in the Christmas special, she's going to become the Doctor's companion. I think it's a wait-and-see type of thing, because um, Moffat loves teasing us with these sort of things, and I'm sure he's loving the fact that we're all so perplexed as to why she was in the season opener. 
Are Oswin and Clara the same character? I'm going to say yes. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, listeners. Moving on to your favourite episode of the entire season. The, the Doctor killing Solomon. Was that out of character or not? Yes. For the Matt Smith Doctor, yes. Okay. For the Doctor as a character, was it out of character? You know, going back 50 years. In general, yes. Okay. Fine. A Town Called Mercy. Uh, did you enjoy the Doctor's ruthless streak? You know, the moral ambiguity question posed and argued for, really, uh, by, by Amy in the story. Yes, because I enjoy when um, we finally have a story that centres on the Doctor rather than his companions, because Doctor Who is about, you know, the title character. For me, it's not about the companions. Okay. Why was the cyborg wearing a cowboy hat in the opening scene? Why not? Because he he wasn't in the Midwest then, or he wasn't in the American Wild West. I'm not quite sure of my compass points there. Why, why wouldn't... Yes, he was. No, he wasn't. In the opening, you saw the cyborg killing someone Kill who we never see one again. Of the, one of the um, compatriots of the Doctor. That's right, yes, but it wasn't on Earth. Why would you say that? Because it wasn't, was it? He, 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 was, he, wasn't, in a, um, he wasn't in a cowboy setting. Uh, it, was, it, was an, it was an alien planet, I thought we were supposed to believe, and yet he'd adopted the guise of a cowboy already, or a gunslinger. I never thought that. Ah. I thought that the fake Doctor landed on Earth, along with um, ah, this other person, or right. persons, because okay. when we joined the story, as far as I was concerned, the cyborg had hunted down all but the last Two. survivor but, from yeah. that crash. Well, in that case, then, I'm glad the... I asked you. I wonder if you're right. Quite possibly. I, 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 I never even considered the possibility yeah. that the cyborg was on an alien planet. Because how did he get from the alien planet to the Earth then? Well, the same way that the Doctor did as well. The other Doctor. You know, he had his own transport. So the cyborg was going rogue and crazy and killing people. Yes. And then still hitched a ride? No, not hitched a ride. He had his own transport, and he followed the Doctor to the Earth. Did he? Yeah, I believe Very so. Very resourceful cyborg. Oh, he was quite determined, wasn't he? <laughs> no, I, I never even... I mean, I mean, until you said that, I never even entertained the idea. It, it all oh. takes place on Earth. The entire story takes place in the Midwest. Okay. Well, moving on, the Power of Three. Name one thing you liked about the Power of Three. <laughs> the Lethbridge Stewart reference and having Kate in it because to me it, it makes me a little bit giddy and a little bit fanish that when you can maybe think that a bit of fan video work is suddenly canon. Okay, yeah, and I think I'll probably go with you on that. I, I think I would agree. It's either that or Brian Williams portrayal as Brian, which I which I really liked. So The Angels Take Manhattan. Was this, you may have already covered this question really, was this the best exit for modern Who companions to date? For modern Who com- No, God no. Well, what was the best? What, was, what did you think was the best? Billy Piper. Even though she came back Easily. and diluted it? You're talking about Doomsday. Yeah, but you're, you are talking about the exit. I'm not talking about the way they tarnished and destroyed fine, that exit fine, okay. by having her appear another 15,000 times over the next two years. The actual exit itself was heart-wrenching. It, it was... Um, a wonderful bit of television that he had to consign his companion to an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. That they ruined it by bringing her back on at least what two occasions. Oh, yeah, um, at least, yeah, diminishes that exit greatly. Hmm. 
Okay, and that's all the questions I had for you. But uh, I want but, more. You want more, do more. you? Okay, I want more. I'm I'm, I'm just getting into the groove. Yeah, give, okay. give me more. Uh, what was your chicken and cookers like? Delicious. Um, <laughs> it, it was um, succulent, chickeny, and how ha- ha- how does one describe couscous? I don't know. I don't kind know. of small rice. I don't really know. Rice with flavour, I suppose, yes. There you go. Yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm actually quite hungry now. I'm not. I'm, I'm about to have dessert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, it's not souffle, is it? I have to call you souffle boy. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that probably wraps up this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. Trev, it's been really, really good having you back in the, uh, in the camper van. Oh, love to be back. I'm going to be back more often now because I think... Um, I'm part of the family now, and I'd love to come back uh, next time if I can. Yeah, well, I don't think you need to ask permission, Trevor. I think you just kick down the door, even if we said no. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I'm really that's, pleased that's, about that's, that. That's so nice, so sweet, isn't it? Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so make sure you join us this time next week, where hopefully Lisa will be back. And I don't think we've got anything planned to talk about. So you, you know what that means? No. A geek out. Ah. Right, I see. So we're going to plan to say stuff that we don't plan. Well, we're going to plan to not plan. I can do that. What's coming out of our mouths, which is pretty much what I do all the time (laughs) anyway. So, (laughs) goodbye, James. Bye. Now, who is the master? I am Leeson. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, 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 we, we have mastered. Uh, the DVD. This is so not going to work, is it? No. Leeson, no. Leeson will be obey. Yes, that's it. Leeson. Leeson what? will obey. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Okay, I'll do that. Leeson will be obey. <laughs> no, no, he and will obey. You. Oh! <laughs> I'm not obeying Leeson. He's got some terrible I, I, ideas. I, I, he records in a toilet. I think we need to go, James. I just can't get this right. <laughs> Bye for now, everybody. Bye, Trevor. I will be obeyed. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. Yeah, that's okay. Right, fair enough. I, I I didn't include Michael's feedback before you see, so I hadn't listened to it. I have now. <laughs> Do you want me to lead yeah. into it? Go for it. You got your dinner, haven't you? It might have got shoved into my arms as I went. You, and oh, my children. you got it made there, mate. I'll tell you, I want that set up. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay.